0: the next generation as he has been reached. And he has done a lot with with youth sports, with youth ministry, with campus ministry, has touched many lives. And uh, he actually, Wayne started, the whole name called The Greatness, the name of our campus ministry, was the name that that came through Wayne. And it was a name originally for the the youth sports camps that he was, basketball camps he was doing. And eventually it became the name for not only that, but also our campus ministry together. And he's a, a key leader. In, in all that we're doing and we're, we're wrapping up today the series we've been doing in, you know this the past few months about being history shapers and wayne is going to wrap this up by talking about uh the glory of god and living for something bigger than ourselves so let's give wayne a big big welcome and open up our hearts to hear it all right good morning Man, I'm really excited to be here. It's been a few years since I've had a chance to visit here at Bluemont Church. I think the last time that I was here, we were meeting over at the, the old space at the Holiday Inn and uh, really excited to see not only this new space and how vibrant and dynamic and life-giving it is, but to be able to uh, get a chance to meet so many new people and to see how this church has grown and thriving uh, here in this community. I uh, love the view up here. I love the light coming in. and uh, I might just get distracted and taking a look out. Uh, the, the, the beauty of Manhattan, Kansas, and I don't know what, what kind of building that is over there, like the little steeple. Do you guys know what build Is that like a campus building? Every time I look at that little steeple, I have the office song start to play in my head. You guys remember how the office used to start, and it starts out with the little steeple? Yeah, so I might get a little distracted uh, during that, but uh, not only am I excited to be able to, uh, to be here uh, to see some old friends and to meet some new ones but I'm really excited to be able to participate uh, in the series that you guys have been uh, functioning in for the last several weeks uh, History Shapers. Uh, I really enjoy just the subject of history. I was a sociology major but history was one of the subjects that I really enjoyed uh, while I was a student and still enjoy uh, following and of course all of that is encompassed in the history of the 500th um, uh, year anniversary of the Reformation and all the history surrounding that. And it's important uh, for us to look at, to consider, and to ponder what took place during those times. But I think it's really cool, and many of you may have seen it in terms of the word history in Christian circles being broken down into two words, his story. Uh, Meaning as God being the creator and the sustainer of all things, he actually has a plan and a purpose for redemptive history. This thing, this life that we're involved in is actually going somewhere and God is fully involved in that taking place. So it's actually God's story. So history isn't just a bunch of facts and historical figures for us to learn about. But it's actually God's story in redemptive history as it's playing out through the human experience. And one of the things that I appreciate is not only is God fully in charge of this very dynamic, but he's inviting us to be able to be history shapers along with him. So he's not the only one that's shaping history, but he's actually inviting those that would name his name, those that would follow him, those that would submit their lives to him to be a part of what he's doing. And what an incredible honor that is. You know, it actually takes me back to my childhood. I have a, a great relationship with my dad. Um, he's one of my best friends in the world. And I can remember uh, when, I was, when I was young, uh, you know, maybe nine, ten years old, how my dad would be doing uh, different chores around the house. And not necessarily chores, but more like fix-it-to-do projects. And as a young boy wanting to spend time with my dad, wanting to learn, and just out of sheer curiosity... I would be hanging around my dad's feet, you know, playing with the toolbox, just kind of hovering around in hopes that he would invite me to help. And so it's interesting, my dad being very handy, obviously being older, well-versed and experienced in being able to fix things around the house, did he need my help? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, would me being a part of what my dad was doing under the sink or in the yard would actually probably slow him down? Absolutely. But yet it was so great how my dad, in his loving heart, would continually invite me to be a part of what he's doing. He would be sharing with me his presence and his purpose. And I really believe that's what God wants us to do in terms of inviting us to be history shapers. In this redemptive narrative, the God has been doing from the foundation of the earth, man, he is inviting you and I to be a part of that very thing. Does he need our help? Absolutely not. You know, there's some ways of thinking that would say, oh, you know, God created mankind because he was lonely. Or God created mankind because, oh man, there's someone or something that he needs to love. And that's not really true. You know, there's a 10-cent word that I heard a long time ago that explains that God doesn't need anything. It it's talks about God's aseity, that he's fully contained in and of himself. Uh, he doesn't need anyone or anything, all right? And we see that because of the Trinity. He's not lonely, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He doesn't need someone else to love. Fully contained, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They shared and experienced love together. But it's really cool to see how God, in wanting to share his presence with us and his purpose, people that have, can offer nothing to him, he invites us to be a part of what he's doing. You know, it's interesting that sometimes early in my faith, I remembered reading the Great Commission as God offering a, a need of help. Hey, I've got this really good idea for mankind, and actually, I need your help. And that wasn't the case. Man, the Great Commission and all the commands that God is offering and asking us to do is an invitation for us to be with him, okay? The command of the the Great Commission came after an invitation was extended to the disciples to be a part of what he's doing. And so as we're thinking about this realm of history and being history shapers, man, think about God is inviting us to experience his presence and his purpose. And you know what was so cool? Back in the beginning of that story that I was sharing when I was a little boy, that was some of the funnest times that I'd ever had with my dad, being in those moments under the sink, son, hand me the hammer, hold the light for me, hey, go tell mom that we're finished. Like, those were some exciting, joy-filled times that I experienced as a young boy. You know what, now as a dad, a father of five, guess what, I get to duplicate that very same thing for my own kids. And God wants to do that same thing for us and extend an invitation to share in his presence and his purposes as history shapers. Amen? Amen. So I know that some of of the things you guys have been talking about um, in light of uh, the 500th anniversary of the uh, Reformation are the five principles uh, surrounding uh, the Reformation and why it was necessary and why it was caused. And, you know, a long, long time ago, Uh, Sadly, the origins and the impact of the Christian faith had been drifted away from, and God used some ordinary men uh, to step up in the fullness of time to come and to help set the compass of Christianity back to its true north and why we believe what we believe, man, why we're doing what we're doing, and not allowing anything else to be added or subtracted from it uh, for political gain or power um, that many people in the church were using. And so I know you guys have been talking about these five uh, different principles of the Reformation. All right, through grace alone. All right, man, it's God's unmerited favor that is offered to us that allows us to be justified before a good and holy God. Man, sin has caused this great chasm, this great separation between God and man. And here we see through these principles, through the work of Christ, through redemptive history, God is bringing us back to himself and justifying us, and we get a chance to get a glimpse of what those look like through these five principles. So the first is through grace alone. Man, it's God's unmerited favor, his goodness, his faithfulness, that even though we've rebelled, we've betrayed, we've turned our backs on God through our sin, that he's still offering the opportunity for our lives to be justified through faith in Christ. All right, the next one goes through through Christ and Christ alone. All right, because of our sin, because of our rebellion, man, there is a consequence. There is something that is needed to be able to make what has been wronged right. In the Old Testament, we see it was a sacrifice to a spotless lamb. And here in the New Testament, we see that Christ and Christ alone was that final sacrifice that had the ability to make right, to make whole that which sin had broken. All right, the next up is through faith alone. Okay? It's through faith alone in the person and the work of Christ that our lives and our hearts can be justified. All right? We have nothing else to offer. We have nothing else to add to that through our works. It's not about going to church more. It's not about trying harder. It's not about giving money. It's not about jumping through any religious hoops. None of those things have the ability to bring our lives into justification with, Christ, with God, but it's through Christ and Christ alone as we put our faith in him. I think you heard last week a little bit about through scripture, all right, taught by scripture alone, that the word of God, the Holy Bible is infallible and authoritative, all right, and it's through scripture, through the word of God, this living and active word, this word that was breathed by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit through men, written down, man, it's through this word that we get a chance to be taught and informed and enlightened in the things and the ways of God. And finally, here we come to the final part, which I get a chance to share a little bit more about, and it's for God's glory alone. Okay, where is all this going? Where is all this headed? Our lives, our devotion, our sacrifice, our time in the Word, man, where is redemptive history headed? And it's all headed to the glory of God. Man, as we read the end of the book, it starts and it finishes with God, everything pointing back to him. And so we're going to get a chance to look uh, a little bit more about that. I love how even as the Reformation was taking place, uh, there was uh, a group of men in wanting to inform this next generation of believers, uh, to teach them the ways and to teach them these principles in a deeper way, and they came up with this uh, almost like a manual or a pamphlet or a teaching guide called the Westminster Catechism, okay? And it's almost like a kind of a Q&A uh, manual or training guide for new believers and new Christians. And if you haven't had, ever had a chance to check it out, I really encourage you guys to do it. Uh, it's a really simple, easy Google search, and it's very, very informative, very, very enlightening, and I think you will find encouragement from it. But it's interesting that the very first question The very first answer that's found in that training manual that these men long ago wrote in hoping to reform the faith and the foundations of Christianity, the very first question was this. It says, what is man's chief end? Basically, in that question, where is all of this headed? And the simple answer to that, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So as you consider your life's purpose, your life's worth, your life's value, where is it headed, what am I doing all this for? That's the answer. Our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You know, I'm so thankful that the last part of that talks about enjoying God. Because I know oftentimes the way that we can view Christianity, the way that religion has shaped and framed god and the way that he's called us to live it's made it devoid of enjoyment and satisfaction has anyone else been there gosh it's just dry boring rigid man that, i don't want anything to do with that before i came a christian became a christian i looked at christianity i looked at religion i looked at faith as something like that but i'm so grateful as i was better informed by the word of God, as I was able to engage actively in a relationship with Jesus and other people, I found that I was able to be able to enjoy it. Man, I really believe that might be a spirit over some of the people here this morning. That Man, you haven't fully been able to enjoy God. Maybe because some rules you've been following or uh, some you know, dogmatic religion that you've been living under from early stages in your life, and I just believe God wants to set you free from that, so be able to experience joy. I just pray that would happen in Jesus' name as you guys get a chance to listen into the message this morning. So glorify God, okay, we hear that word all the time, the word uh, glory to God or glory, the glory of God is found over 500 times in the Bible, it's used time and time again in a variety of settings, and you know, it's... Not only is it messed up that Jonathan would ask me to come here after the KUK state game, to which I do ministry and I'm a chaplain for the KU football team, and I had to preach a message to them yesterday that I thought would work, but we lost So now I'm really not all that secure and confident in my ability to preach right now. So hopefully I'll regain that sometime during this message. But then I get assigned this, uh, this incredible, like, weighty topic of the glory of God. And, you know, it's it's so intimidating because really, when I think about the glory of God, it's almost it's really like a diamond. And I don't know if you guys have have, uh, you know, been around diamonds, whether it's something that's, you know, on your hand or a piece of jewelry you've seen in a museum. But one of the things that's interesting about a diamond is that you can look at it from a variety of different angles and it shines differently each time. And that could be really beauty and awe inspiring But when you're trying to explain something, it's very intimidating. So I'm going to do my best to explain a little bit about the glory of God, but probably mostly what I'm going to say is going to be grossly understated. Because when we think about the glory and the vastness and the power and the might and the majesty of this amazing God, it's really difficult for words to put it in accurate context. It's really even difficult for our heart and our mind to be able to fully wrap and grasp what that truly means. And you know what? That's not actually a bad place to be in because what it causes is it causes us to worship. It causes us to worship. It causes us to actually not just try to figure out what glory is and who it's due, but actually causes us to reflect glory back because God, you're so big. You're so amazing. You're so grand. You're so beautiful. Man, I can't fully comprehend it, but God, I just want to offer up my praise to you. And so hopefully, as I'm trying to piece feeble words together, that there is an awe-inspiring worship that comes from your heart, maybe not being able to fully understand it. And so we're going to take a look. So the glory of God, how can we we break it down? You know, when I think about the glory of God, I think about his greatness and his beauty. And you can look all throughout scripture and see uh, just incredible signs of that, whether it's from the very start of creation, man, God speaking a word and it happening, taking place, creating the world and everything in it. I got up early this morning and got a great piece of that, driving in from Manhattan um, and coming across the Kansas Flint Hills, one of my favorite spots on all the planet, I've seen, lived on beaches, I've been in mountains, I've been everywhere. I love the Flint Hills. Maybe it's just the Kansan in me. I love it. And of course, as I'm coming across the Flint Hills and the sun is rising and there's just this gorgeous, amazing picture that I get a chance to experience, man, it's the beauty and the power of God I'm beholding right there in that moment. It causes me to worship, it causes me to be in awe and wonder, it causes me to take this glorious scene, and to give back glory to this amazing God that created it. You can find it in so many different instances in creation. I mean, you can find the glory of God in different settings in the Bible where we think about um, God's interaction with Abraham, how here it is, God is establishing this covenant, this unbreakable commitment This amazing God is stooping low to create this covenant, this commitment, this relationship with Abraham and his people, fully knowing that they don't have the ability to hold up their end of the bargain. Yet in his love, in his grace, in his mercy, in his faithfulness and understanding redemptive history and what has the potential to play out, man, he still steps forward and enters into this covenant relationship with Abraham. Wow, that's incredible. I don't have the guts to do that. Who here has the guts to step into a relationship with someone that they know is going to betray them? I mean, how difficult is that? Yet it's amazing to see God do this. I can go on and on and on. And we just see the glory of God shining forth through his word in redemptive history. But, of course, one of the places where I want to turn in terms of where the glory of God is and where we can best see it, is actually in the life of Christ. And a lot of times you think about, oh, gosh, man, do we really have to go to Jesus as our example? I mean, he's just, that's just unattainable. Like, I can't live that life. I don't have what it takes. Please don't go there. Like, that's how I feel oftentimes when we turn and place our attention on Jesus as a model for something, how to live a life. That glorifies God, but it's interesting because we have an understanding that yes, Jesus is fully God and we can't go there All right in our human frame and finiteness. We can't go there He's a full expression of who God is and what he's like But yet at the same time He's a full expression in terms of what our human experience can be like So therefore we can turn to him even though he's perfect and wise, and all these incredible things, still, as humans, we can turn to him and look and with how we're to live and to model our life. And so, let's just take a look about that, and how we can live for God's glory. And I think we have it up here, in uh, John 17. Yes. Here it is. And so, here, just a little backdrop. We're going to start out in in John 17, and this is towards the end of Jesus' ministry, Um, He just finished the Passover supper with his disciples, uh, went into the upper room, and they're speaking about the things that are to come, they break the bread, they take the wine together, now Jesus enters into what's called his high priestly prayer. And so here he is, we see Jesus, God the Son, praying to God the Father. It's really cool, we actually get a chance to listen into this, all right? And so let's take a look at this. It says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hours come, glorify your son, that your son may also glorify you. Okay, I think it's so important just to stop and a pause there. And understanding that, yes, there are times in our life, in our human experience, where we get a chance to receive glory. Maybe it's for something cool that we've done. Maybe it's a gift or a talent that we have. Uh, there are times where we get credit. We are esteemed. We get notoriety for who God has made us to be. But I love how here it gives us an example that what is that for? And it's to reflect that back to God. Glory is given to us so that we might give it back to God. Glory is given to us so that we might give it back to God. You know, the big deal about glory is what why is it so important? Why is it mentioned on so many times in the Bible? Okay, why are there so many uh, books about it? And this is it. Number one, because God and God alone deserves it. It's interesting, you read the prophet Isaiah, one of my favorite books, in the chapters 40 through 55. It talks about God and God alone. He is the one. He is the one and the one alone that has done these great marvelous work. He deserves the glory due his name. But also it's important because in our hearts and in our fallenness, guess what? We want to get the glory ourselves, right? We want to get the credit, we want to get the praise, we want it. You know, I really feel like even when you look in Genesis chapter 3, one of the very plays of the enemy as uh, the serpent was tempting Adam and Eve in the garden was this very play on glory. Mm -hmm. Hey, did God say you would surely die? No, 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 no. When you eat of this tree, God knows that you will be like him. God knows that the glory that he has, that you'll get. Oh, wow, okay, that's looking pretty appealing. You know, even from from my basketball background, having played at the highest levels uh, collegiately and professionally, I tell you what, there is nothing that's more intoxicating, there's nothing that's more um, diabolically satisfying than this right here. The praise and the applause of people. And once I found out that I could get that from taking a little round ball filled with air and putting it through a little tin hoop, I was fully committed to that. And I spent a lot, a lot of time getting really good at it. Why? So I could get this. So I could receive glory from others. And what happened was, is I would internalize it. I would keep it inside myself and inside my heart like a reservoir, yes, just reveling in it, wallowing in it, but something was missing. Why? Because God created the world, he created us, so that when we do receive a measure of glory because we've been made in his image, man, he's given that so that we can give it back to him. And so as you guys think about the different giftings and talents and passions that God has given to you, that you might get a little attention or notoriety from, that has been given to you so that you might give the glory back to God. Amen? All right, so I'm going to go on. Man, that was a lot right there. in Two sentences. Come on, God. It's your word. So we're going to move on here in verse 2. And he says, As you have given him authority over all flesh, Jesus speaking of himself, and that he should give eternal life to as many as you've given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ in whom you've sinned. I know you guys hear that a ton here, that eternal life has nothing to do with becoming a Christian, waiting till you die, and then going to heaven, but eternal life can be experienced right here now, amen? How? Through knowing God, through knowing Jesus Christ, And this is what I really want to harp on right here, verse 4. And he says, I have glorified you on earth by finishing the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world began. I had to throw verse 5 in there because it's just amazing. We can't go there. I mean, look at that. Glorify me with the glory that we shared before the world began. We can't go there, right? But it should cause us to awe and marvel and worship Jesus. But the verse before, it talks about, God, I've glorified you by finishing the work that you've given me to do. Now, as we ask ourselves this question, how do we glorify God? It sounds complicated. It sounds untouchable. It sounds like something that we can fail at. But here we get a glimpse in Jesus' high priesthood prayer. How do we glorify God? By completing the work that God has given us to do. I know a lot of times when we hear the word work, we think about working to earn something back from God. That's not the case. Why? Because we look at the principles by grace alone, through Christ alone, and faith alone. So when we talk about works in this verse, it's not about trying to gain or earn anything from God. But it's out of an overflow of our heart. God, we recognize who you are. We recognize what you've done through the work of Jesus Christ. And therefore, because of that, God, I want to go and join you in your purposes. Just like that small little boy that wanted to join his daddy and fix the sink. Man, we're called to join God in his work and his purposes on the earth. And Jesus says here that that is how we're able to glorify God the Father. By joining and completing the work that he's given us to do. Amen? So a lot of times when we think about this, we think about Jesus. Yeah, he came, he did some incredible works. You know, we can start from the cross and work backwards. We see miracles, incredible teachings. And again, sometimes we can sit in those seats and think, wow, I can't touch that. That's too lofty. Man, that's too holy. I'm just a college student. Man, I'm just, I'm just a husband, a wife. I, I, I've got kids. I've got a job. I don't have time to do all those things. I don't have the ability. And the work that Christ is talking about doing and accomplishing here in this verse has so much more to do with just the big grand miracles. Now, thank God for those. But What about the little things that Christ did on a daily basis, faithful to do? The little works. You know, one of the things that I appreciate about the life of Christ so much is thinking about where he actually chose to be born. I mean, think about this. God... Wrapping himself in flesh, coming to earth, could choose to be born in any city, to be born under any circumstance, to be born into any ethnic group. But you mean to tell me that he actually intentionally chose to be born to a no-name family, into a town with a bad reputation, to be overlooked and marginalized for the first 30 years of his life, and to be born under scandal and scrutiny? I mean, we can look back at the life of Christ and say, yeah, you know, we read the story. We know that it's all going to end up good. But think about what God chose to be born into. And think about how faithful he was in those small circumstances on a daily basis. Man, submitting himself to his parents. Man, learning the word. Man, being faithful to serve others. Think about, man, talk about Jesus was what? What was his occupation? A healer, a minister? No, he was a carpenter. Now, wow, man. Here it is, the God that actually created the very wood beams that he's working with and created the laws of physics that actually govern, him. man, needing to have nails and four legs in a table. He created those things, but yet he humbly submitted himself to becoming a precision carpenter. And guess what? I bet he did that well, right? Guess what? That was part of the work that God had given him to do. And here he's saying that he brought God the Father glory by faithfully doing that work. Guess what? What does that do? That keeps us from eliminating ourselves. Because we've got small, faithful work that we can engage in every single day, just like Jesus. And we have the ability to receive glory from it and to give that glory back to God, just like we see in these scenarios. And so it's interesting in thinking about my story. So going back to that little round ball filled with air. And so I'm going after it. I'm pursuing it. I'm trying to grow in the skill. Why? Because I'm getting attention. I'm getting approval. I'm getting affirmation. I'm getting a scholarship. Man, I have a potential and a career in it. Yes, these are the things that I want. But as I started to walk with the Lord, I became a Christian in 2003 through the campus ministry called the greatness that we have here. And as I began to actually open up the Bible and to read about this incredible God and this amazing man, Jesus, I'm starting to look at his acts. I'm starting to look at his deeds. I'm starting to look at the things that he accomplished. And I'm thinking, okay, why would there be a stadium filled with people wanting to clap for what I do when this guy right here is doing far abundantly more? wait a minute, the small things that I can do with my life pale in comparison to what is taking place on the pages of this Bible. Wait a minute, so this glory isn't about me, it's not about my praise or approval, man, it's about something and someone else. And so then I begin to experience this change and transformation in my heart. That the reason why I live, the reason why I play, the reason why I'm committed to practice and to be disciplined and all these things that are associated with this talent isn't for me, but it's to be given to someone else. And everything changed from that. From that point on, everything changed. You know what was interesting? We talked about that in portion of the catechism so that we might enjoy God forever. You know what? Once I began to live a life that was solely focused on glorifying God and not just getting the glory for myself, there was areas of enjoyment that I had never experienced before. The game of basketball, my life, my relationships became some of the most enjoyable things I'd never experienced. Why? Because they no longer became about me, but they became about offering up that glory to someone else. And so I went out and I finished, and I had... Uh, pretty good career, and so as I finished up here at KU, there was an opportunity. There was an opportunity. The last game that I played at Allen Fieldhouse, and the last game that you play, at the end of that game, they give the seniors an opportunity to take their microphone and to be able to thank a few people or maybe to share some experiences that they had and And as I'm considering and pondering, okay, man, what should I say? I may never have this opportunity to say it again. I'm a young Christian. I've been saved maybe like 18 months, but I just knew because of this transformation in my heart, because of what I'd seen in the scriptures, because of this very dynamic of what Jesus just laid out, God, I've glorified you by giving me the work that you've done, something had to happen. It was not just going to be some trivial moment. And so... The Holy Spirit directed me to this portion of scripture that I really hope would be an encouragement and a challenge to you guys as well in this area of glorifying God, living a life that glorifies God because he and he alone deserves the glory. And it's found in Jeremiah chapter 9, all right, Jeremiah chapter 9. And so uh, I came across this verse. Right before I had this opportunity to step on this stage and to take the microphone before 16,000 people in the stadium and another bunch of thousand people listening on the radio. And I was like, OK, something's got to happen. Man, God showed this to me. And oh, no, are you asking me to share this? Wait a minute, God, are you asking me to declare a Bible verse in Lawrence, Kansas, one of the most liberal towns in the whole state? wait a minute, God, as someone that has been receiving lots and lots of praise in that building, God, I know if I'm going to say this, there's going to be some jeers. There's going to be some boos. There's going to be some folks on the message boards the next morning that aren't really going to like that. There's going to be some criticism and scrutiny that I'm going to experience. God, do I really want to do this in this moment, in this building? And I was reminded of Matthew 10. Jesus declared his disciples, hey, when you're faithful to confess me before others, I'll be faithful to confess you before my Father in heaven. Man, think about the glory that we can experience to give back to God as we're faithful to step out and do the works that he's called us to do. And yes, these works are going to get us criticized, scrutinized. Man, we're going to lose friends over these works. Man, we're going to be fearful in going to administer these works. But it's so worth it. Why? Because it has nothing to do with us. It's so that God can get the glory. That's why Paul could say to live as Christ, but to die is gain. Man, the persecution and the scrutiny that he experienced, it was worth it. Why? Because it was a gain for God because God got the glory. And so here in Jeremiah chapter 9, I, I, I declared that. I said this. And it's just something that the Lord said. I just said back what he said. It says, thus says the Lord. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Now we got a lot of smart people in here. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, a lot of strong folks in here, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let he who glories glory in this. Okay, if we're going to boast or take pride or glory in anything, it's not our strength, not our wisdom, not our riches, but here God lays it out, man, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth for in these things I delight, says the Lord. Man, that is what we're to glory in, is these things here, the things that God glories and delights in. Again, not making it about ourselves, but taking this into every single part of our life, not just the big things that go noticed, that we can share in front of people and that we can receive praise from, but being faithful in the small, unseen things, just as Jesus was the first portion of his life. For in these things I delight, again, delight, is connected to enjoyment, man's chief end, to glorify God and to do what? To enjoy him. Man, as we're doing this, God experiences delight. We get to be in the delight with him, man, enjoying all that he has to offer. And so if we ever have an opportunity to experience glory ourselves, man, let us glory in this. Man, that we know this incredible God. We have this amazing relationship with him. You know, the story just isn't limited. I know everyone has a story of their own in terms of how they've been able to live for God. But most recently, my wife, Katie, we've been married 11 years. She's awesome. Many of you know her. She just found out that she was a match to uh, be a bone marrow transplant donor. So there was a person that has stage four leukemia that need stem cells. And so we had a student that we were working with about five years ago that had this disease, and they needed to be a match, and so we got on the registry hoping possibly we could be a match because they're really good friends with them. We led this drive on the KU campus trying to get as many people to sign up as possible, hopefully finding a match for our friend. She found a match elsewhere, but we stayed on the registry. And so about a month ago, my wife Katie gets this call, hey, we found out that you're a match for a 60-year-old man. Would you be willing to donate your stem cells? And this type of procedure is pretty extensive. It's pretty time-consuming, pretty painful. And to have it done for a stranger is like, man, it's hard enough to be able to do it for a friend, but for a stranger? And so my wife, as incredible as she is, she stepped up to the challenge and said, yes, I'll do it. And what it became, it became something where folks would hear that story, and automatically they would want to ascribe great things to her. Oh, you're so, you're so loving and so passionate and oh, that's just so kind and you're so brave and courageous and all these different things would be able to start to come at my wife in terms of what she was able to do and her motives for being able to do this. And she very well in her own right just could have received, oh yeah, hey, you know, th- yeah, thank you, I uh, want someone to do it for me. No, someone has done it for you. Someone's done it for all of us. And what it became is that glory that was coming at her from the patients and folks on social media and the doctors and the surgeons. What took that glory that was coming at her for stepping into that place of sacrifice, she was actually able to take it and turn it into the glory of God. I'm doing this because someone laid down their life for me. And it was an incredible opportunity to share with these people and even our kids. Mommy, why would you want to go get shots? Shots hurt. Shots hurt. Honey, someone laid down their life for me, Jesus. And I want to go do this. And it was an opportunity to take a little bit of glory that was given from that procedure and to turn it back to God. The glory that was given was meant to be given back to this incredible, amazing God. We've got opportunities every single day to do that because he deserves it because he's God and God alone. There is no other. There is no one greater. There's no one wiser. There's no one that's lavished more love on us. He's the only one that's worthy. So as we finish up, as the worship team comes back up, I just want to confess, um, confess this together as the worship team comes back up. Because we're going to sing another song, right? Yeah. 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 Even where you're at right now is you're considering... just this dynamic of these five principles that have been highlighted over these last several weeks. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, scripture alone, all of this leading to ultimately to God getting the glory alone. And man, if there have been times in your life, in your heart, where you've wanted to harbor and to keep all the glory and all the credit yourself. Man, it's time to lay that down, repent from that. And here in this moment, we're just gonna, I'm gonna ask you. To